Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. It's a pretty common belief that children are not permanently impacted by the divorce of their parents. Now, under the best of circumstances, the impact can, can be minimized. But as the child of divorce and a couple therapist and coach for 20 years, I warn parents to believe this fallacy at their peril. Parents rarely ask their children about the divorce, and even if they do, children are rarely completely honest. Children want their parents to be happy, and the full impact of the divorce on their own romantic relationship won't be felt for years. But it will be there. And it tends to go one of two ways. Either there's absolutely no desire to get married ever, or if they actually do get married, the intent is to never, ever, ever, never, ever get divorced, no matter how bad it gets. But what if there's an alternative? What if there is a way not to go down the same path as your parents? Well, that's what my guest, journalist Alexandra Frost, found. She found one, and she's here to share it. So, Alexandra, Alex, thanks for being on the show and sharing what has become a pretty common experience for a lot of people. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Leslie. I'm very excited. Yes, definitely so, common now. Yeah. So it's like I came across your piece in, at Reader's Digest website entitled, My Parents Got Divorced After Seven Years, Here's What I'm Doing Differently. And, you know, it resonated with me since I was also determined to do it differently than my parents. And you mentioned the seven years and how it might have related to having kids. So can you talk about the importance of kid-proofing a marriage? Sure. I uh, have three sons under age five, so within our <laughs> eight years of marriage, we've <laughs> had quite a handful <laughs> of kid experience early on. So mm -hmm. um, it mm -hmm. definitely has impacted both getting closer and also having more challenges. I think conversations are more challenging to have just from the physical noise around the house. And <laughs> so that's always a natural barrier to communication right there. Um, so I think kid-proofing the marriage just really came down to, for us, carving out time. I mean, we hear about date nights and think, oh, yeah, we'll do that sometime. But really mm -hmm. being intentional about creating date nights as often as it's good for that marriage. So I mean, we'd had friends who would do it monthly, and we're like, you know, that's not really enough. Like three kids that are all that little is really a full-time thing. So um, we've switched to weekly date nights and uh -huh. also just carving out time throughout the week, even if it's not an official date night, where we can just have an uninterrupted conversation. So those are some <laughs> things that we've tried to do to kid-proof, but it's a task for sure. Well, it, it is, and, and I, anybody who's listened to my show knows my feelings about this, that especially we are in a very kid-centric society, and we're never mm -hmm. supposed to do anything that disappoints our children, which, and we're always supposed mm -hmm. to be at their beck and call. And in reality, if we do that, and bless you for having three boys within the <laughs> <laughs> like, They're fun. <laughs> yes. Um, Thanks. You know, it's, it's really hard, and especially because we're told, oh, you have, they have to be in all these activities and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and the thing that gets 
the thing that really gets put on the back burner is, is the marriage. And we've actually, in my field, they've actually done studies that show that marital satisfaction takes a hit when kids come on the scene. And any parent yeah. will tell you, yeah, I have read those studies. <laughs> yes, I agree. I, I do think it's, it's definitely difficult, but whenever I read those, I get a little agitated because I think they discount how much closer you also get, you know, going through this process together. So I think it's just whether about people, if people are turning inward or outward when those extra stressors appear. So, but yeah, the kid-centric society thing is so true. I, I know what you're talking about. Well, and that's, and I, and I kind of jumped into this because I actually didn't give you a chance to talk about why the seven years and why the kid proofing your marriage, because that's actually very specific to what happened in your parents' marriage, isn't it? It is. It's so ironic. And they even went on to have additional um, divorces, some of, it, some of which struggled at the seven-year mark, you know, with, with subsequent spouses. So I've always mm-hmm. been a little scared of that whole seven-year itch. I mean, I think it was a Marilyn Monroe movie back in the day. It's kind of a myth, but also, I mean, it seemed to have some truth in my family. So <laughs> I always was like, all right, if we can get to year eight, it's going to be fine. Um, but then some of the research in the article talks about it being bumpier, you know, towards year, I think it was like three or four in the marriage, actually. But yeah, the seven-year itch, um, I think, is just when you start to kind of look at each other and go, okay, where are we going from here? You know, a lot of people have already had kids or are starting to have kids and feel the stress of um, having little kids especially, and like you said, they start to run around to activities and things like that. We've kind of limited how many activities we've um, had our kids do, even though they are pretty young. So we'll see if we're able mm-hmm. to keep that going as they move into their, you know, school-aged years. But, yeah, just <laughs> with that many kids, trying to run to, you know, six different activities a night is definitely going to take a toll. So Right. And my, my husband and I stopped it, too, because we never wanted to be outnumbered. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and we did exactly the same thing. You know, we told the kids that you could be involved in a sport and an art mm-hmm. each. But yes. that was it. And, yeah. and when my, my son to this day, who, he's, now, he's now grown and, and, as my husband likes to say, off the payroll. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, he, he tells stories about that we made him stop playing soccer. I said, no, 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 no. You got to the point mm-hmm. where you were so good in soccer and baseball we made you choose because we weren't going to be like driving all over creation. Right. You, you had to choose and you chose baseball. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. but, but it, it is. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we do know in studies, you know, we've shown that, that there are, that there are peaks and valleys for the health of relationships. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, when we have anybody who's had a newborn, it's like, oh, my God. Oh, gosh. You know, we call I'm it the fog. To... We call it the, yeah, the six-month fog. We've named it. And we're like, okay, if we can get through the six-month fog, I read about that in the article. <laughs> like, we're going to be yeah, fine. I... But, yeah. And then, you know, and so, you know, relationships generally, like, you know, so it's probably anywhere from a year to maybe that three-year mark where people are talking about what, you know, is this going to work? Do we want to have mm-hmm. children? They're in that phase. And so they might, they might with a vent, and then it seems to be like at the seven or eight year mark, which is gee, we maybe had a couple of kids and mm-hmm. grown apart, and you know, and then and then the other big um, bump is like year twenty five, which is like, oh, the kids are out of the house now. Who are you? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. And, 
And so you talk about this, and I think it's so important. And so other than having, you know, we talked about kids being hit to a marriage, you actually mentioned another one, which it's funny because I, I was talking to a client this morning, and this came up, and I went, oh, I'm going to be talking about this this afternoon, about you mentioned another challenge, which is boredom. So yeah. what is that about? I was actually recently talking to a teenager. She was, she was around 18, and she's like, how do you pick a spouse that you're going to, like, have fun with for the next hundred years. I'm like, well, first of all, you'd be 118 year old, years old, but not the point. So I, I do think that's something everyone fears in marriage, and um, we uh-huh. definitely did in the beginning. And I think that basically what what's worked for us is just seeking out, you know, if the partner is interested in a certain hobby, is there a way that we can also engage in that and take interest in each other's hobbies? And also, the, I think people hear hobbies are like exciting date nights and are intimidated by, oh, we have to plan this like elaborate rock climbing <laughs> adventure and have like dinner at this restaurant that we've never been to that's like 40 minutes away and whatever else. And I think that, um, I just think that that like standard is too difficult to uphold. So maybe just smaller goals have worked for us like okay we're going to just go to a movie because we know we both enjoy that so again maybe we're just in that survival mode but kind of just um you know changing the boredom by trying to do different things even if it's not super out of the box or like a really high standard date i guess but i do think some people after a while are able to pursue some of those other things like um you know just more advanced adventures and some people like to travel So I think all of those can help, but also it's just, for us, it was just picking someone that we're friends with to marry as opposed to super romantical love um, because just in the end after that kind of dies out, I think we just enjoy sitting around on the couch and it not having to be a major production. So that's kind of what I told the 18-year-old girl I was talking to is like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) pick someone you're friends with because, you know, when the uh, hormones stop flying, it's you know, that friendship and that ability to just converse, I think, helps to combat the boredom. Well, and I, I, and I love that you put this in because you know, we actually do know that human brains are hardwired for new, and this, yeah. is why, this is why our phones are such a challenge because we can have new, we, ha- we literally have new in our, in our hands. Every, mm-hmm. every moment of the day we can get new. And the other thing right. that research shows is that when we experience new with somebody else, it mm-hmm. creates a bond. And so yeah. you're talking about doing these things, and, and you're right. I mean, I think people do get intimidated by the whole concept of, oh, my gosh, we have to do a date night. And I tell people, right. especially parents of young children, you never mm-hmm. have to leave the house. You can actually yeah. have a date night within your four walls. It's just concentrated time where you guys are focusing on each other. So whether it's playing a board game, which I know, you know, my kids are like, your board games are all the rage now, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Whether whether it's a board game or watching a movie or cooking together, you know, I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like you said, and I love the idea of what you said about if one of you has a hobby or an interest, is there a way Mm -hmm. to expand it so that it can encompass both of you. Because I know a lot of times people get into that thing of, yeah, that's my husband's thing, and I don't really like it, or that's my wife's right. thing. And, you know, and it's like, you know, and it's sort of like, and, and I get that there are some things that, that you don't 
Yeah. It, it would be like, but sometimes they haven't like, even tried it. I'm like, give it a shot. Maybe you guys, that will be your partner hobby as well, you know. So. Well, and that's something that, that's something that uh, one of my very, very first um, uh, conferences that I ever went to, I sat in on, a, I, I sat in on this guy's seminar, and, and he was talking about things that he and his wife did together. It was like us things. You know, it's like they, yeah. they went to the ballet as an us thing. They went to the baseball games as an us thing. You know, they, it's right. what they did together, which, again, yeah. helps alleviate that boredom and some focus and putting some focus on the actual relationship itself. Yeah, that makes sense. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with journalist Alexander Frost about how to approach marriage if your parents were divorced. So we're now at third or fourth generations of divorce, and quite frankly, sometimes they're necessary, but often it's just a question of learned behavior. So if you're the child of divorce and concerned about not repeating the cycle, there's help. So I invite you to get in touch with me right away and take advantage of your free, no obligation, create your happily ever after transformation session. You can send me an email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com. Or you can give me a call at area code 919-924-0463. Again, 919-924-0463. So I want to get back to Alex and talking about this. And Alex, in your article, you, you mentioned something that I think is really, really critical because you talk about the importance of not talking about the D word, not mentioning <laughs> divorce. So mm-hmm. since, it, since it's an option, why not talk about it? Yeah, and I'm glad you spelled out what the D word was there. That's always very helpful. Um, I think that, yeah, I think in premarital therapy, I took premarital therapy really seriously. It was not something required by our religion. I mean, it was recommended, uh-huh. but we we ended up going to something like triple the sessions that we had, quote, had to. And um, uh-huh. I just, I really liked it. I thought it it helped to kind of undo some of the legacy of divorce my family had and, to make me feel more confident moving forward into the marriage. So at that point, the um, the therapist had said this might be something to consider is the idea of eliminating that as kind of an option, save abusive situations, of course, and he specified mm-hmm. that. You know, so if we ever felt like we were moving into an emotionally or physically abusive situation, obviously that is still an option for us. But um, other than that, it was all about the idea of the power of your words and what you're speaking over your own marriage. And if we end up in fights that result in ultimatums that involve the word divorce, that that kind of creates that as an option in the back of our heads over the course of months and years. And basically by eliminating that, we reframe what we think is possible and that the only possibility for both of us is to pour back into the marriage when things are difficult so I think that's why we originally started to not ever use the D word. And we haven't since at all other than, I mean, <laughs> it's not like we've never said the word divorce, but never in the context of something that we want to do or that is, you know, some sort of threat in the relationship or an option for either party, really. So that, that's kind of helped us in those ways. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting concept because I was just reading, you know, I just was going through my emails and, and one of one of my previous guests had 
was talking about he and his wife and how they have a per you know, it, it appears to have a perfect marriage. And basically what he said was a perfect marriage is two imperfect people promising to work it out with each other. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this is really great. Because, yes. because I mean, you know, and, and those of us who, who have gone through divorces as, as children, um, and, and I mm-hmm. would probably argue even as a spouse if you've gone through divorce, they're, they're terribly painful. And I, I know that there's yeah. a lot of talk about, well, you know, we shouldn't call them failed marriages, because, you know, and, and people having divorce parties. And I'm going, mm-hmm. oh, kid, this is not something to celebrate. Yeah. And, yeah. and mm. you know, and, and, when our parents, and when our parents don't know how to resolve stuff, then that's what, that's what we see. That's what we experience. And it's like, oh, right. and it's okay to say, you know, we're done. And, and then, of course, yeah. kids get the, the kids get the, you know, well, we love you. We just don't love each other anymore. So that's uh, yeah. tells, that's that tough. basically tells kids that, that, you know, you can stop loving somebody. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Know. And that was a huge fear I had going into marriage is, you know, is that something that one day I'm going to feel towards this person that I feel so strongly for now? And is that something that they're going to feel just one day out of the blue? And are these things that can be predicted? Or, you know, I, I started spending sometimes a little too much time looking for these, like, pre- prediction, like, red flags. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember being a teenager at one point, like, doing some school projects about divorce and I had learned that statistically I was more likely to get divorced as a child of divorce. Mm-hmm. And so right. I think that kind of infatu- not infatuation with it, but definitely like research heavy way of coping with it is where that started. And then it kind of just veered into, okay, I'm going to have to eliminate this as an option or I'm going to spend my whole marriage worrying about divorce, which is equally unhealthy. Right. Well, and, and you know, and one of the things is, is when, you say, okay, we're not going there, then it actually creates the opportunity to kind of think outside the box, maybe. Right, Because, because right. what we actually do is, is we do what we know. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard to get out of, out of our own heads and, and out of mm-hmm. our own ways of seeing things. But if we're bound and determined that we're not going to give up, then so many more options can yeah. show up in terms of problem solving or maybe just deciding, right. hey, we just, this isn't a problem we actually really need to solve. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think breaking down the bigger problem into the smaller, I mean, sometimes they're just even miscommunications that just <laughs> lag on for years. And then it's like, is that how people end up at these places where they're not talking? And, and I definitely don't ever want to come off like this couldn't happen to me because it, I mean, it can, it can happen to anyone, but I definitely think, you know, dealing with those small miscommunications along the way have helped us a lot to kind of not have recurring fights that can't be solved to where we're like, oh, well, that's a five-year-old problem or a 10-year-old problem, so. Well, and you, and you sort of actually mentioned the flip side because you basically say not talking about divorce doesn't mean not talking or not addressing the challenges or having the tough conversations. Can, so mm-hmm. can you like, kind of explain that a little bit or flesh that out a little bit? Because I, because I know people go, well, we don't know how to do this. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, we, like I said, we did counseling in the beginning of marriage. We are doing it now. 
we call it preventative therapy. Sometimes we make it part of our date night. And whenever our, you know, friends hear preventative therapy, they're like, or hear marital therapy, they're like, what's, what's mm-hmm. wrong? Are you guys okay? And I'm, I'm like, uh, are you okay? You should be doing this too because it's great. And some of, like I said, the fights that you just can't resolve over time, I feel like that's really a space that um, you can work that out with the help of someone else who can listen, you know, in a not biased way. But, yeah, in that part of the article, I referenced um, Crucial Conversations, which is a book I really loved about creating safe spaces in which we can say tough things to each other. And that Uh book really outlines how to do that. I liked it a lot. But I think that um, just creating a a communication system with your partner that works for both of you, that's, that's helped us. So just basic things like not saying how the other person feels and using eye language, I feel, just all that, you know, good old like therapy talk. But it really does over time create, you know, a healthy uh, communication system for us to use. So I think that's kind of helped. So we're definitely having the conversations, just not in the framework of this has to work or divorce or that Mm -hmm. that word's being thrown around in any sort of casual way. Right. And, 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 and unfortunately, sometimes it does. And, and it's really hard to feel secure when your partner yeah. is, is, you know, like, oh, well, because my, my ex-brother-in-law used to do this. It's like, well, when we're divorced, and it's like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's like the opposite of that safe space for sure. <laughs> like, it's hard to have yeah. any conversations within that. But I know people go through that, and that sounds really difficult. Well, and I love and I love the idea, and of course, because I do this for a living, I always love it when people say, "Be proactive about this," because we actually do yeah. know what works. And you know, and and learning how to have those hard conversations in a way that minimizes the hurt and right and you know, because it's like I always tell people, you can't you can't completely avoid ever being hurt. But right. it, whether or not somebody is intentionally hurting you versus, oh, here's something that we have to talk about and it's going to be hard and yeah. you know, feelings are going to get a little bruised, but it's okay because we love each other. Um, yeah, and I think in marriages you're so fired up by all the old hurts that, you know, it all it takes is one thing and then everyone's derailed. So kind of having those frameworks for conversations. I mean, one thing that we've been doing is trying to, categorize how big a problem is by using time words that are accurate. So instead of me saying, you know, you do this all the time, just, mm-hmm. hey, I've noticed in the past, you know, whatever it is, an actual time frame, like, hey, I've noticed for the past few hours you've been in kind of a funk, like is something going on, as opposed mm-hmm. to over-categorizing and, you know, making hyperboles about time. Um, so that's been kind of helpful to both of us, I think. Or, then, or, or even the flip side of assuming that whatever is wrong has to do with you. And, yes, I mean, I loved your comment. Yeah, and asking that question is so important, you know, what, what is going on instead of assuming right. it's me. That's been really hard for me in particular is just kind of, you know, going back to the question instead of assuming that I know the reason. So those are all things that I think, uh, you know, we could all work on. Yeah. Well, and, and in the article, you, you talk about very openly about doing um, premarital work, and it sounds like, yeah. you're, you know, you're still doing it, which, which, of course, making it through the kid years, I think, is definitely something that everybody can use help with. But you, Yeah. You well, we actually in- signed up for um, premarital counseling again pretty recently, like maybe a couple of months ago, and we were expecting a fourth baby, uh, which we miscarried. 
And um, yeah, thank you. And basically, we were like, okay, let's prepare for this newborn fog. And it was so cool because we actually ended up um, really benefiting from the you know premarital counseling through the miscarriage. And mm-hmm. we, it's something that we never saw coming, but it really illustrated the whole point of preventative counseling is, okay, we have this relationship set up with a trusted person to where when something comes out of the blue and we need to talk about it, it's, it's already there. You know, I think that some people see therapy as, okay, if we ever get to that point, yeah, we'll do it. And I just think that's too late. I mean, I think it would be great if we all kind of just did it as a preemptive, you know, building the relationship, learning the framework for talking, then when something happens, like the miscarriage was, you know, difficult for both of us on mm-hmm. personally and on the marriage, then it's already set mm-hmm. up and we can bring it to that space that we've deemed a safe space. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're preaching to the choir here on that one. But, <laughs> yeah, um, you know all this. I do. And but interestingly, you mentioned a specific relationship. You, you mentioned a specific question your counselor asked you that you claimed was relationship changing. And I loved the question, and can you share it? Oh, sure. It was an awful day <laughs> in my life. <laughs> she asked, she was like, what would it be like to live with you? And I, it was, I must have been ragging on my husband for something, and she just flipped the tides, and I just thought, oh, man, not that good. <laughs> right. So, you know, just once we start to look in a not-egocentric way at the world and think about, what would we be like as a spouse? I just, all these great things about my husband appeared suddenly like, wow, he's much quicker to apologize than I am. And if I do something kind of grouchy, he lets it go quickly and I don't do those things. And, you know, I'm working on those. So Mm -hmm. I think that just considering what we're bringing to the table is in itself a great divorce prevention technique is, you know, instead of what are they doing for me? What are they not doing for me? Like, well, what's it like to live with you is kind of a humbling question for sure. <laughs> well, and, you know, I mean, and this is, and this is one of the challenges um, because I, I will tell people when we are in a relationship, we've got a built-in scapegoat, and it's just that. Mm-hmm. It's like I can, I can point out all the things that maybe my partner isn't doing, quote, unquote, right or, or the way I would want yeah. or whatever, or, or I'm just having, you know, I'm just in that place of, you know, just, whining and moaning and complaining about my partner but it's really tough it's like oh now I got to look in the mirror it's like you know and Mm -hmm. and And there's a funny meme recently oh sorry go ahead sorry (laughs) there was a funny meme recently about marriage being successful marriage being about all the things you don't say and Mm -hmm. um I, I just think that's so true in this case is like is that really that big of a deal that I need to make it into a whole fight or is it just a preference and something I have to get used to by, you know, just living with someone. So, well, and that's, you know, and, and, and to me that is, and I've said this before, that to me the biggest challenge to marriage is you're two different people trying to form a life together. Now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, and it was funny because I was, I was with my sisters not terribly long ago and we were, and we were discussing how you fold towels. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, my sisters yeah. and I fold the towels exactly the same way because we fold the towels the way our mother folded them, and my husband yeah. folds them very differently. And it's you know, and it's just kind of like you know, it, it, is it wrong? Well, I mean, I think mine's more efficient because I don't have to unfold them and refold them to hang them on the on the towel rack. 
but it's not wrong. It's just like, okay, yeah. how is it all that they're put away? Why am I? Why would I be complaining about this? Exactly. As long as I'm not folding the towel, I do not care. <laughs> yeah, that, right, that's you know. true. And I think these, like, tidy things build up over time, and then they become really big, and we think that they're major indicators of our marriage. And really, as long as we can just keep a sense of humor about those small things, I think they can – Stay where they belong, which is just some little annoying habit the spouse has. Well, and 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 one of the things is 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 it can move past that. So what I tell people, if you can't let it go, if if for some yeah. things, for some reason, because I have a I have a colleague you who know, basically in fact that's how I met him is because I read his blog post. And he was talking about mm-hmm. the reason why he got divorced was because he left dishes in the sink. And I'm going, Matt, I love you, but that's not the reason why you got divorced. Yeah, but that's what they yeah. Were, but that's what they were fighting about because it yeah it represents some bigger stuff. Right, <laughs> which again mm-hmm. is is what you were recommending about you have those conversations that right. like okay. It's like we're not fighting about the dishes on the sink. We're fighting about what they stand for. And yeah. as long as we they, you know, but and it's like I tell people, if you can let it go, like my husband with the towels, it's like, you know what, they're folded, they're put away, I don't care. I, it's like, really, why would I be making a mountain out of this particular molehill? Um, yeah, but, and picking uh, the hill you want to die on has been a huge part of kind of our journey is I, I tend to pick all the hills, which comes <laughs> off as naggy, but I really found out through a lot of soul searching that I'm trying to prevent you know, my childhood full of divorces by not letting anything build up and become this bigger problem. But ironically, like I said earlier, that could cause its own problem because you don't want to be that person that picks every battle and cares about every small, you know, nuance in the relationship too much. So that's been kind of a balance to work through. Well, and, and I still love you talking about it being a balance because it really is. And, and mm-hmm. John Gottman, who's a big, big leader in, in the field, basically, and, and I don't know how he figured this out, but I trust that, he, that it's accurate, that he says two-thirds of all disagreements in a relationship will go unresolved. So obviously you've mm-hmm. got to figure out the one-third that matter, and it's like, okay, so, and, and I love that, you were, that there's a focus on yourself um, to go, okay, why yeah. does this matter? What, what, is, what is the deeper thing? And for, children, and for children of divorce, it really is the fear of reliving that, especially if we're parents, because we don't want right. our kids to go through that. Yeah, that's really hard. I was in, I think, what, the last year in our state where they allowed fully traditional custody schedules. So I was with my mom, you know, all through the weeks and then saw my dad every mm-hmm. other weekend. And um, even just, even though I had two great parents who actually did divorce pretty well after that, just that, even that schedule um, and the new equivalence of the schedule is just so difficult for kids when it comes to stability and um, just everything else that goes into being a kid. So I def- that's definitely a fear in the back of my mind all the time is that idea of, and, and as a parent, not seeing my kids half the time I think would be devastating. So all good motivators yeah. to communicate well. <laughs> Well, Alex, thanks so much for sharing this in your article. And can you please tell people where they can read more of your stuff? Because it's really good. Oh, thank you. Sure. Yeah, I've been writing for Reader's Digest. So that's rd.com. And then also my own um, journalistic website. I do journalism writing, content writing, and blogging, which is alexandra-frost.com. So terrific. And my contact is on there as well. Great. So, 
as, as we've talked about, no matter how it happens, divorce really is painful for everyone involved. And its impact can last for a very long time. Children are not immune, but they can learn how to do marriage better. And in fact, everyone can. So my challenge to you is, will you learn and implement what works? And I know you're doing one of those things because you're listening to the show. So thanks so much for that. And until next week, stay loving. Stay loving.